Chapter 4, verses 1 through 6a of Commentary on St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Thovo. Commentary on St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians by Martin Luther, translated by Theodore Graebner. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. Verse 2. But is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. The apostle had apparently finished his discourse on justification when this illustration of the youthful heir occurred to him. He throws it in for good measure. He knows that plain people are sooner impressed by an apt illustration than by learned discussion. I want to give you another illustration from everyday life, he writes to the Galatians. As long as an heir is under age, he is treated very much like a servant. He is not permitted to order his own affairs. He is kept under constant surveillance. Such discipline is good for him. Otherwise, he would waste his inheritance in no time. This discipline, however, is not to last forever. It is to last only until the time appointed of the Father. Verse 3. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. As children of the law, we were treated like servants and prisoners. We were oppressed and condemned by the law. But the tyranny of the law is not to last forever. It is to last only until the time appointed of the Father until Christ came and redeemed us. Verse 3. Under the elements of the world. By the elements of the world, the apostle does not understand the physical elements, as some have thought. In calling the law the elements of the world, Paul means to say that the law is something material, mundane, earthly. It may restrain evil but it does not deliver from sin. The law does not justify. It does not bring a person to heaven. I do not obtain eternal life because I do not kill, commit adultery, steal, etc. Such mere outward decency does not constitute Christianity. The heathen observe the same restraints to avoid punishment or to secure the advantages of a good reputation. In the last analysis, such restraint is simple hypocrisy. When the law exercises its higher function, it accuses and condemns the conscience. All these effects of the law cannot be called divine or heavenly. These effects are elements of the world. In calling the law the elements of the world, Paul refers to the whole law, principally to the ceremonial law which dealt with external matters, as meat, drink, dress, places, times, feasts, cleansings, sacrifices, etc. These are mundane matters which cannot save the sinner. Ceremonial laws are like the statutes of governments dealing with purely civil matters, as commerce, inheritance, etc. As for the Pope's church laws forbidding marriage and meats, Paul calls them elsewhere the doctrines of devils. You would not call such laws elements of heaven. The law of Moses deals with mundane matters. It holds the mirror to the evil which is in the world. 
by revealing the evil that is in us it creates a longing in the heart for the better things of god the law forces us into the arms of christ who is the end of the law for righteousness to every one that believeth romans one four christ relieves the conscience of the law in so far as the law impels us to christ it renders excellent service i do not mean to give the impression that the law should be despised neither does paul intend to leave that impression the law ought to be honored but when it is a matter of justification before god paul had to speak disparagingly of the law because a law has nothing to do with justification if it thrusts its nose into the business of justification we must talk harshly to the law to keep it in its place the conscience ought not to be on speaking terms with the law the conscience ought to know only christ to say this is easy but in times of trial when the conscience writhes in the presence of god it is not so easy to do as such times we are to believe in christ as if there were no law or sin anywhere but only christ we ought to say to the law mr law i do not get you you stutter so much i don't think that you have anything to say to me when it is not a question of salvation or justification with us we are to think highly of the law and call it holy just and good romans seven twelve the law is of no comfort to a stricken conscience therefore it should not be allowed to rule in our conscience particularly in view of the fact that christ paid so great a price to deliver the conscience from the tyranny of the law let us understand that the law and christ are impossible bedfellows the law must leave the bed of the conscience which is so narrow that it cannot hold two as isaiah says chapter twenty eight verse twenty only paul among the apostles calls the law the elements of the world weak and beggarly elements the strength of sin the letter that killeth etc the other apostles do not speak so slightingly of the law those who want to be first-class scholars in the school of christ want to pick up the language of paul christ called him a chosen vessel and equipped with a facility of expression far above that of the other apostles that he as the chosen vessel should establish the doctrine of justification in clear-cut words verses four and five but when the fullness of the time was come god sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law the fullness of the time means when the time of the law was fulfilled and christ was revealed note how paul explains christ christ says he is the son of god and the son of a woman he submitted himself under the law to redeem us who were under the law in these words the apostle explains the person and office of christ his person is divine and human god sent forth his son made of a woman christ therefore is true god and true man christ's office the apostle describes in the words made under the law to redeem them that were under the law paul calls the virgin mary a woman this has been frequently deplored even by some of the ancient fathers who felt that paul should have written virgin instead of woman but paul is now treating of faith and christian righteousness of the person and office of christ not of the virginity of mary the inestimable mercy of god is sufficiently set forth by the fact that his son was born of a woman 
the more general term woman indicates that christ was born a true man paul does not say that christ was born of man and woman but only of woman that he has a virgin in mind is obvious this passage furthermore declares that christ's purpose in coming was the abolition of the law not with the intention of laying down new laws but to redeem them that were under the law christ himself declared i judge no man john eight fifteen again i came not to judge the world but to save the world john twelve forty seven in other words i came not to bring more laws or to judge men according to the existing law i have a higher and better office i came to judge and to condemn the law so that it may no more judge and condemn the world how did christ manage to redeem us he was made under the law when christ came he found us all in prison what did he do about it although he was the lord of the law he voluntarily placed himself under the law and permitted it to exercise dominion over him indeed to accuse and to condemn him when the law takes us into judgment it has a perfect right to do so for we are by nature the children of wrath even as others ephesians two three christ however did no sin neither was guile found in his mouth first peter two twenty two hence the law had no jurisdiction over him yet the law treated this innocent just and blessed lamb of god as cruelly as it treated us it accused him of blasphemy and treason it made him guilty of the sins of the whole world it overwhelmed him with such anguish of soul that his sweat was as blood the law condemned him to the shameful death on the cross it is truly amazing that the law had the effrontery to turn upon its divine author and that without a show of right for its insolence the law in turn was arraigned before the judgment seat of god and condemned christ might have overcome the law by an exercise of his omnipotent authority over the law instead he humbled himself under the law for and together with them that were under the law he gave the law license to accuse and condemn him his present mastery over the law was obtained by virtue of his sonship and his substitutionary victory thus christ banished the law from the conscience it dare no longer banish us from god for that matter the law continues to reveal sin it still raises its voice in condemnation but the conscience finds quick relief in the words of the apostle christ has redeemed us from the law the conscience can now hold its head high and say to the law you are not so holy yourself you crucified the son of god that was an awful thing for you to do you have lost your influence forever the words christ was made under the law are worth all the attention we can bestow on them they declare that the son of god did not only fulfill one or two easy requirements of the law but that he endured all the tortures of the law the law brought all its fright to bear upon christ until he experienced anguish and terror such as nobody else ever experienced his bloody sweat his need of angelic comfort his tremulous prayer in the garden his lamentation on the cross my god my god why hast thou forsaken me bear eloquent witness to the sting of the law he suffered to redeem them that were under the law 
the roman conception of christ as a mere lawgiver more stringent than moses is quite contrary to paul's teaching christ according to paul was not an agent of the law but a patient of the law he was not a lawgiver but a law taker true enough christ also taught and expounded the law but it was incidental it was a sideline with him he did not come into the world for the purpose of teaching the law as little as it was the purpose of his coming to perform miracles teaching the law and performing miracles did not constitute his unique mission to the world the prophets also taught the law and performed miracles in fact according to the promise of christ the apostles performed greater miracles than christ himself john fourteen twelve the true purpose of christ's coming was the abolition of the law of sin and of death if we think of christ as paul here depicts him we shall never go wrong we shall never be in danger of misconstruing the meaning of the law we shall understand that the law does not justify we shall understand why a christian observes laws for the peace of the world out of gratitude to god and for a good example that others may be attracted to the gospel verse five that we might receive the adoption of sons paul still has for his text genesis twenty two eighteen in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed in the course of his epistle he calls this promise of the blessing righteousness life deliverance from the law the testament etc now he also calls the promise of blessing the adoption of sons the inheritance of everlasting life whatever induced god to adopt us for his children and heirs what claim can men who are subservient to sin subject to the curse of the law and worthy of everlasting death have on god an eternal life that god adopted us is due to the merit of jesus christ the son of god who humbled himself under the law and redeemed us law-ridden sinners verse six and because ye are sons god hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts in the early church the holy spirit was sent forth in visible form he descended upon christ in the form of a dove matthew three sixteen and in the likeness of fire upon the apostles and other believers acts two three this visible outpouring of the holy spirit was necessary to the establishment of the early church as were also the miracles that accompanied the gift of the holy ghost paul explained the purpose of these miraculous gifts of the spirit in first corinthians fourteen twenty two tongues are for a sign not to them that believe but to them that believe not once the church had been established and properly advertised by these miracles the visible appearance of the holy ghost ceased next the holy ghost is sent forth into the hearts of the believers as here stated god sent the spirit of his son into your hearts this sending is accomplished by the preaching of the gospel through which the holy spirit inspires us with fervor and light with new judgment new desires and new motives this happy innovation is not a derivative of reason or personal development but solely the gift and operation of the holy ghost this renewal by the holy spirit may not be conspicuous to the world but it is patent to us by our better judgment our improved speech and our unashamed confession of christ formerly we did not confess christ to be our only merit as we do now in the light of the gospel 
why then should we feel bad if the world looks upon us as ravagers of religion and insurgents against constituted authority we confess christ and our conscience approves of it then too we live in the fear of god if we sin we sin not on purpose but unwittingly and we are sorry for it sin sticks in our flesh and the flesh gets us into sin even after we have been imbued by the holy ghost outwardly there is no great difference between a christian and any honest man the activities of a christian are not sensational he performs his duty according to his vocation he takes good care of his family and is kind and helpful to others such homely everyday performances are not much admired but the setting up exercises of the monks draw great applause holy works you know only the acts of a christian are truly good and acceptable to god because they are done in faith with a cheerful heart out of gratitude to christ we ought to have no misgivings about whether the holy ghost dwells in us we are the temple of the holy ghost first corinthians three sixteen when we have a love for the word of god and gladly hear talk write and think of christ we are to know that this inclination toward christ is the gift and work of the holy ghost where you come across contempt for the word of god there is the devil we meet with such contempt for the word of god mostly among the common people they act as though the word of god does not concern them wherever you find a love for the word thank god for the holy spirit who infuses this love into the hearts of men we never come by this love naturally neither can it be enforced by laws it is the gift of the holy spirit the roman theologians teach that no man can know for a certainty whether he stands in the favor of god or not this teaching forms one of the chief articles of their faith with this teaching they tormented men's consciences excommunicated christ from the church and limited the operations of the holy ghost st augustine observed that every man is certain of his faith if he has faith this the romanists deny god forbid they exclaim piously that i should ever be so arrogant as to think that i stand in grace that i am holy or that i have the holy ghost we ought to feel sure that we stand in the grace of god not in view of our own worthiness but through the good services of christ as certain as we are that christ pleases god so sure ought we to be that we also please god because christ is in us and although we daily offend god by our sins yet as often as we sin god's mercy bends over us therefore sin cannot get us to doubt the grace of god our certainty is of christ that mighty hero who overcame the law sin death and all evils so long as he sits at the right hand of god to intercede for us we have nothing to fear from the anger of god this inner assurance of the grace of god is accompanied by outward indications such as gladly to hear preach praise and to confess christ to do one's duty in the station in which god has placed us to aid the needy and to comfort the sorrowing these are the affidavits of the holy spirit testifying to our favorable standing with god if we could be fully persuaded that we are in the good grace of god that our sins are forgiven that we have the spirit of christ that we are the beloved children of god we would be ever so happy and grateful to god but because we often feel fear and doubt we cannot come to that happy certainty 
Train your conscience to believe that God approves of you. Fight it out with doubt. Gain assurance through the word of God. Say, I am all right with God. I have the Holy Ghost. Christ in whom I do believe makes me worthy. I gladly hear, read, sing, and write of him. I would like nothing better than that Christ's gospel be known throughout the world and that many, many be brought to faith in him. End of chapter 4, verses 1 through 6a of Commentary on St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians. Recording by Thovo, June 7, 2010.